0: to the quarter to three games podcast for early to mid-April 2013. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Guild Wars 2.
1: And my name is Nick Diamond, and my game of the week is not Ghosts and Goblins.
2: My name is Rod Humble, and my game of the week is not Kriegspiel.
0: Yeah, but your Game of the Week is kind of like that, though. It is kind of like that. (laughs) I admit it is kind of like that. Now, before we scare anyone away with talk of really detailed, nerdy man, World War II war games, uh, Rod, a lot of folks, I think, know you as like one of the guys who, I I don't know if you're like a front man, but a lot of folks associate you with the Sims games. Uh, You you worked a lot on those two. Um, Since then, that's no longer your gig – uh, you are at Linden Lab, which most of us know as the folks who do Second Life. Uh, and I didn't realize this. Not only are you at Linden Lab, aren't you pretty much in charge of that whole shebang? The
2: the, the fools put me in charge. That's right.
0: It's like your company now. Yeah, I, I'm CEO. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <A> do, terrible <laughs> era of judgment on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. Like I didn't. I'm not even sure I thought of you as a suit. At EA, like I knew you were like sort of higher up, and but I always thought of you as a creative type. Now hearing that you're the CEO of Linden Lab, I you're one of them. You're one of the suits, right? I,
2: I I've all, I've always been uh, a uh, a suit in my spare time. That's my secret identity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but by night, I know you do creative little indie game stuff that I want to talk about because. Uh, I'm a little mystified at some of it, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um, But first, specifically about Linden Lab, I'm going to just throw you a softball. It's sort of like a little underhanded thing. You'll be able to see it coming. As a matter of fact, this isn't even a softball. This is like T-ball. Okay. So I'm going to make this really easy for you. It's going to be pretty obvious what I'm doing, and I just want you to to go with it as you will. You ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So Linden Lab, they're the ones that make that game – which is all about furries meeting each other for cyber sex, <laughs> right? Isn't that isn't that what you guys do? So that's, there you go. Uh, so, what happens when you hear that? How do you, CEO uh, of Linden Lab, Rob Humble, res- respond to that? I,
2: I, um, um, I'm fine with it. Actually, that's uh, that, that. That would work. Uh, uh, Second Life is um, one of the th- reasons I joined the company. Is everything you see, the entire world, is made by other people. And so it's this, you know, we don't make any of the content. And um, people make uh, whatever they like. And uh, we get a very varied amount of uh, content. Uh, we do indeed have furries, bless their heart. Um, we have uh, lots of people who uh, you, call the, you call them furries, I call them my base. Um, uh, but we also, you know, we also have uh, people who, for example, uh, make uh, detailed recreations of aircraft and airfields. who Go boating, they make railroads. Um, make 1920s Berlin, that's uh, one of the projects. Hang out in nightclubs. We had uh, Duran Duran's got their own private island. They actually played uh, in it. I think it was like last weekend. Um, so there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, but yes, we also have uh, virtual sex and furries. Bless, well, them, no. bless, bless all of their paws by <laughs> one.
0: And you know, I appreciate the the spirit of tolerance and the big tent attitude you take. You know that that's refreshing, and I, I like hearing that. But but I have to ask Rod, isn't it kind of frustrating sometimes that that that's the stuff that gets the most attention in Second Life? That you know, um, people come along and they that you know that's what's the real lurid uh, talking point about Second Life? And, and doesn't it upstage a lot of the other cool stuff that's going on? You
2: know, it um. <sighs> It varies. I think that um, it depends who you talk to. There's there's an awful lot of so when I come to someone who's got an education background, quite often they've known it because they used it at university or something. So they're coming at it as a from a research perspective. When it comes to the the sex angle, you know, to be quite honest, if if we end up being the uh, the the part of the games business that's associated with um, you know, adult content, like I I'm completely happy with that. You know? Like like the the idea that um I mean name one other form of entertainment that like shies away um from, you know, romance or sex or erotica or, you know, I mean half of movies total gross is about, you know, who are the beautiful people I'm going to get to see? You know, am I going to get to see a little bit of skin? I mean it's it's I, I think that there's um there's there's a lot of growth to go within the gaming space and I'm I'm more than happy to say yep there's adult content in Second Life and uh, there's plenty of other stuff too but it doesn't bug me
0: and I have to say, too, that when people talk about adult content in, in games and in romances and stuff, I, I kind of cringe at what we what most people currently think of, which is stuff like the the romances in Mass Effect. You know, I appreciate what Bioware tries to do, but all that stuff is still – it seems like it's very much in its adolescent, embarrassing phases. Um, so I guess in a way, if, if actual real-world behaviors can be manifested in something like Second Life, I'm, I'm with you there. More, more power – to them, rather than those weird little puppet cutscenes from <laughs> Mass Effect. Uh.
2: Yeah. yes. Well, I I do think that games we have got quite a ways to go when it comes to things like dialogue and um, mm-hmm. uh, representing relationships in an interesting way, um, or, or sex. Frankly, I mean, it's uh, I, I, when was the last time that you know a game even vaguely got you aroused? You know, it's 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 not really. Uh, something that, as a medium, we've explored very well. Um, Can I actually answer that question? Oh, please, go
0: ahead. It's kind of weird. Like, I, I'm not sure that I would, uh, you know, in uh, well, I'll bring this up. Uh, I think the last kind of, like, sex scene that I saw in a game that I cared about, um, I would have to say The Witcher 2. Like, I really liked how they introduced this cool exotic location, these, like, elven ruins, and how, I think it's Geralt and... <laughs> Is her name Trish or something? I can't even remember. But there's this kind of hot sex scene between him and his partner in these elven ruins slash hot tub kind of thing. That I remember thinking, wow, this is this is like a cool. This is like something you would do on like a Cinemax show that's, or something.
2: That's very cool. Um, the, 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 uh, actually, that's a really good example. The, the last one for me was um, uh, one of the things with The Sims is I, I because you're telling your own story, you know, you can become like you know, the, uh, uh, the gigolo of the town or, um, you know, play it you want. First thing I always did with The Sims is, you know, download the mods that um, get rid of our little pixelization.
0: Ah! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say, though, The Sims kind of protects itself from being too adult by... I love the look of The Sims 3, but it seems like part of what's going on there is to avoid that weird uncanny valley effect. There's an almost purposeful... Caricature, kind of cartoonish aspect to The Sims that I, I enjoy the sexy playfulness of The Sims, but it was yeah. nowhere near as hot as like Geralt and Trish,
2: oh uh, yeah I, I um, Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think the situations you can get in The Sims are more sexy from like a 10,000 foot view, but yes. it's a 10,000 foot view. And I think <laughs> exactly. the, the Witcher is definitely, uh it, it was definitely a, a far better scene. I know what you're talking about as well. Right. That was good.
0: Uh, Nick, all right, so Rod and I have fessed up. Anything come to mind for you, Nick?
1: Oh, yeah, Custer's
0: Revenge. Oh, Nick, Oh, oh. He's right there, taking us to the lower... <laughs> By the way, this is a good point to mention. Uh, I meant to mention this up front. Uh, speaking of taking us to that level, Nick, uh, Jason McMaster has not been disappeared. I just want everyone listening to know uh, he is on special assignment this week uh, covering the uh, Peshmerga Cyber Gaming League and to uh so just to let everyone know uh, normally that custer's revenge remark you know w- nick thanks for filling in for something mcmaster might have <laughs> said <laughs> uh well uh, real quick rod so second life it's still around it's still going strong right like
2: uh it's, it's um so we've got uh a uh, mil- a million monthly active users um, last year um, second life did over seventy five million dollars top line um, which is uh, which is great and um, it's we get depending on the day we get between you know thirteen to sixteen thousand uh, new users sign up a day um, so it's it 's great and it's a lot of it is just organic um, uh, we're pretty much the only game in town. If you're looking for a virtual world that's entirely made by other people, um, then Second Life is for you. And how, uh, how
0: old is it? When did it start?
2: It's, it's ten years old this year. Isn't that amazing? Has it had
0: much by way uh-huh. of like any tech overhauls? Because I I remember it looking kind of primitive back in the day. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah, definitely. And and we um so last year um we did uh mesh, which is you can basically make professional models and. Uh, real third-party uh, tool sets. You can make you know, realistic-looking models and put them into Second Life. Um, we did some user interface improvements. We just rolled out a brand-new UI, uh, which is uh, customizable, um, and uh, we're rolling out some pretty significant performance improvements uh, this month, uh, some of them are live and next month, and that's made a real difference. Um, oh, and we added uh, Pathfinding as well, so you can have non-player characters and things.
0: Now, you mentioned that uh, the amount of money it's making, and I can't help but hear that and kind of do a double take. Uh, it, it's a free-to-play thing, right? Like, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Second Life doesn't – it's not based on any subscription fees, right? Like, people are selling content online. What's the, what's the model there?
2: Um, so, we um, – uh, it's free-to-play. You can go in and uh, check it out. Um, the uh, users go in, and they can create things, and if they want – They can uh, trade with each other, um, and uh, they also – we allow people to – they can uh, buy Linden dollars uh, for uh, real dollars, and they can sell them to each other for real dollars if they want. Mm -hmm. Uh, We make all of our money out of selling land, um, and also if people want a subscription of Linden dollars and a little house, they can buy that from us. But most of our revenues are from land. Uh, so you you buy an island or a plot of land, um, and a lot of our customers uh, make a profit out of selling goods within within the world, uh, even after how much they pay for land. Um, so last year, this this is a stat. You know, our top line actually is relatively small. Uh, last year there was over half a billion U.S. dollars. Um, transacted between users in second life selling and buying virtual goods you know hats clothes services that sort of
0: stuff and now uh, that's the, that's like within the game like that's not people cashing that, out that's trafficking in linden dollars basically
2: that's real dollars that um uh, a lot of those um get sold for real dollars we allow people to go out and if they right? want and so for real dollars and so we have we have people who clear uh, over a million dollars personally uh top line within second life each year it's quite common for business owners to make tens of thousands of dollars if they've got a, you know, a good business like selling horses or that sort of stuff
0: wait when you say you have people that clear a million dollars personally you're saying that someone who is someone is actually taking a million dollars out of the system or they're just trafficking a million dollars worth of stuff like in Within a the system,
2: yeah, making a million dollars, they clear it, they take that out. That's their profit.
0: I gotta see the books on that, Rod. You've got to be pulling my legs on somehow. There's got to be some kind of accounting shenanigans here. That's amazing to me. I just can't. I, I boggle well, I, at hearing that. <laughs> it it is,
2: it is amazing. And you know, uh, yeah, you know, five hundred million real, you know, equivalent to U.S. dollars transacting. Um, that it was it was those stats and the fact that it, that Second Life had, be, had been so robust for so long that made me want to come to the company because that principle of if you let people um, put value on their creations within a game or in our case you know creative spaces then we believe there's something magic to it. Um, we the royal we I believe that I, I think ho- hopefully a lot of the company believe that. And the, the more that we can enable that with different tools in different areas, I think that um, the more we will succeed. And once you get this magic spark going, um, then people love it. And why wouldn't they want to be able to – if they want, and a lot of people don't, but if they want to be able to um, sell items to each other and uh, trade for real money, um, why wouldn't they be able to? It, mm-hmm. it's, it's great.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the other stuff that you guys are doing. Uh, Linden Lab isn't just Second Life. Uh, Nick, you've actually fiddled with something that they have in beta right now. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the latest beta that from sec- from Linden Lab that, that you've played, Nick?
1: Yeah, so I've been uh, playing uh, – I, I went ahead and uh, purchased it through uh, Steam. It's uh, Patterns um, and – I guess someone who just looked at screenshots of it would say that it's, uh, it looks very similar to Minecraft. Uh, but it's really not. It's actually quite different. Uh, and it's it, first of all, it's based on uh, triangular tiles instead of cuboids. Um, and then the other thing that really differentiates it uh, is that the tiles have different material strengths. And are affected by gravity, so for example, if you build a bridge out of something flimsy, uh, it can go ahead and collapse on you
0: and that 's huge to me like as someone who bo- actually both of those things, Nick first of all the what happens and it seems like a subtle thing when you describe it but when you actually see patterns when you boot up the game the difference between building something out of triangles and the different angles that encourages versus building something out of cubes uh i I mean it it just it's huge i think like when you when you come in and you see all these like weird shapes and angles and things hanging like it it's not like natural foliage but it it's a The angle that natural foliage is at. And you can have, like, twisted tree trunks. I think that's all because of those triangles. Um, And then secondly, as someone who, when I, I had heard about Minecraft for a long time, and I respect what they do, but the first time I went in to play Minecraft, knowing not that much about it, just little bits and pieces I'd heard, and I chopped down a tree and basically pulled the trunk out from under the tree, and it floated there. I was immediately like, "Wait, what? This no, nah, this is this is wrong. This just doesn't feel right." And people have come to accept that in Minecraft, and I understand why it's that way. But when I booted up Patterns, I mean, it's still a beta. I don't. I imagine there's going to be more in it. But I just had a grand time just running around chopping things down and watching them fall over. Like that was that was just enormous to me, and it, it tapped into a little bit of like what I liked about, say, Red Faction Gorilla. You know, the fact that you have a world built out of components, and that that world can realistically break. Like that made a huge difference for me.
2: Um. That's cool. I, I'm, cl- I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. The the it, it is very early. It's not even alpha. Um, uh-huh. We're we're super early, and um, actually yesterday I saw the first build with uh, the beginnings of multiplayer in, um, which is going to be fun. And uh, the next build, which is the end of this month, I think it's going live. Um, we've got there are a bunch of features in, but one of the cool one is. Uh, the worlds wrap around now. So when you walk off the edge, actually, you'll be like the, the world will turn and you'll be on the gravity. And so the idea is that you get these little worlds and they're all going to be linked together. Oh, and the other feature that um, I think is coming this month that was that I saw is um, sharing. So you'll be able to share each other's worlds and creations. And, um, and then going back to the, the Second Life example, what our company is, is based on is eventually you will be able to share and, if you want, put value on your worlds and uh, Ah. your experiences and have others, you know, you can either uh, sell it or charge people to come in. Um, One of the things that I love about Minecraft is I love the mods and I think that um, uh, there's an opportunity there for us to enable people who've put all of this effort into making worlds to allow them, if they want, um, to... um, uh to cover their costs or make money out of it um mm-hmm. by uh, by sharing so
0: and also i thought it looked really good i mean it it just the texturing on the little uh, – like Minecraft has this charmingly retro look, and it embraces that, and that, that's lovely. But there were some really nice effects in patterns, I thought, like the, the clouds and the sun and the, the different textures on the different substances. Um, you know, That was one of the first things I thought when I booted it up is, hey, this is, this is really lovely and in not necessarily in an aggressively retro way.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, the the team, I think, did a good job on the look. Um, It can can look better. And uh, the next thing I really want is the ability to customize your own avatar because all of that will have physics. So if you want to be a car or, you know, you want to be like this weird plant creature that goes along like – what was that great game that just got launched? It was in 2D – Incredipede. So, if you want to move uh, right. around the world like an Incredipede, uh, you should be able to do that. So, uh-huh. that's, Good. that's, uh, to come as well.
0: And you say it's not even, uh, like, what is this called? Like, we,
2: we, we, we called it a Genesis release because we couldn't think of anything earlier than alpha.
1: Right. <laughs> what comes before an alpha? Right.
2: <laughs> so, we're basically making it up. Um, and, uh, the, the next really, you know, basically we put these new words in when we want to charge more. And so, I think that the, um, I think that the new the the next version that we'll call it something new like I don't know, uh, you know, Galaxy Start or something will probably be late summer, um, and that'll have all of those features in. Um, uh, and we freely admit we change our mind a lot. We're kind of making it up as we go along because our uh, our customers are, have been great and they're really helping uh, give us the direction as to how how to build this thing. So sure. it's
0: great. Sure. Good. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Good. Thank you. Uh, so, also, I noticed uh, uh, Versu is a how would I describe? So when I when I first discovered Versu, I was kind of expecting something like there's a there's a web based game uh, from a group in England called Fail Better Games, mm-hmm. and it started out as Echo Bazaar, and it became Fall in London because that's the place where it takes place. Uh, and Fall in London is a big, long, persistent text-based adventure with all these, like, systems and stats in the background, and you play it over the course of months and months. Um, Versu is, is much more modest than that. Um, it, it looks to me like a... Um, I guess I kind of want to say text-based adventure, like it's more traditional. <laughs> um, and I don't mean that as a, as a slam. It's just it, it's not it's not something that you play over months and months and months. Right. It's like reading a short story, and you make choices during it. Uh, there, there's a huge list of like verbs and interactions as you go through the story. I was very impressed with that. And the idea is you navigate different characters through the basically the same events to different endings. Um, so is that? I mean, I guess I've pretty much done your job there, Rod. I feel like I've just that—that's Versu in a nutshell, wouldn't you say?
2: Well, the uh, so the important thing about Versu is, and uh, you know, this is uh, our messaging fail. Is um, uh, it was created by um, uh, Emily Short and um, uh, Richard Evans, and Richard Evans wrote the artificial intelligence for The Sims Three. Um, that's when I first met him, and so as you're playing Versu, actually a lot of that uh, story is procedurally generated by all of the interaction of the AI and all of their personalities. So if you replay a story, um, that's kind of when it starts to click, Of like, oh, wait a minute, this is totally different. And you're starting to get this sense of really what Versu is, is we take a bunch of uh, characters – with motivations, and then as you play with the story, a lot of stuff gets generated as you go along. Um, it's actually a lot clearer in um, – we're just about to upload uh, a new episode, which is called uh, The Interview, which is this job interview that goes disastrously wrong, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, and um, uh, when you uh, when you play it the first time, you're like, oh, that was kind of funny. You know, that was, uh, right. that was kind of amusing. You play it again. It's totally different. And you're like, wait a minute. Uh, And you start to see, hey, this actually is – there's a lot of procedurally generated storytelling going on. Um, And so we're going to do a few of those, um, roll them out, and then uh, the next step is to release the tools so people can create their own. And um, I I, I think people are going to love it once they can see how these tools – once you make a character with motivations – how they actually start to make the the story as you play it, because um, it's kind of magic when you see it.
0: Well, you know, then that's definitely my bad, because I, I want to describe what happened to me. And I, and I want you to I, – I presume you're going to tell me none of this. Tell me the woman's name again who writes the stories, Emily – Emily Short, yeah. Emily Short. I'm, I'm yeah. presuming that what I'm about to describe to you is basically nothing that Emily Short specifically wrote. And I, I had assumed this is what she wrote. But so you, there's a tutorial that you play, and it sort of teaches you just the basic interactions. But then right. I think there are three stories right now that are free, and then there's one, I think, $4 story you can download. Um, right. One of the free stories is uh, – and I wish I remembered the name. I want to say something like – because they all have these sort of like Victorian novel feels to them. Oh, uh, What was – it's like a, the house <laughs> on the cliff maybe? Yeah, there's a – yeah, the house on the cliff. And- house on the cliff. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's even one of them if I, I didn't try this one, but one of them was, I think, the disastrous proposal or something like the idea is yeah. that it's a scene from Pride and Prejudice. It that, that yeah. plays out different ways. Um, yeah. So but I wanted to try House on the Cliff because it seemed like there was some kind of mystery there. And I was like, OK, I, I want to see what's going on here. It gave me a trace of characters that I could be. And <laughs> yeah. I didn't want any of those. So I just hit something like reroll or randomize because they were all like. Like I got. I, I was like, I want to see what happens if I hit randomize. So I hit randomize or reroll or something, and, and then one of the characters was like a, a doctor approaching the twilight years after middle age or something like that. And I was like, well, wait a minute, I want to see what this is. So I clicked on that one, and uh, this doctor gets in a carriage accident, um, and I presume they all start this way, and he and the other passengers are stranded <laughs> on the road with no houses in sight, and they eventually come upon this abandoned, eerie house. But what? as I was playing, this doctor was very conscious of wanting the other one of the other two women to fall in love with him (laughs) He was very he was a very lonely doctor I think he was described that way so a lot of the actions are he can decide to like try to impress them he can be protective of them there are constantly a pretty long list of actions and verbs about doing things to try to find food or firewood or shelter or Dealing with his preoccupation with these women that he's stranded with. Uh, And so over the course of the game, he ends up getting possessed by a ghost, uh, and then the ghost expresses the mystery through him, and he's channeling the ghost. And then one of the women gets possessed, so he can sacrifice himself to the ghost and say, no, don't possess her, possess me. And he ends up going crazy and, I think, dying. (laughs) But in my own head, the narrative was that that was the ultimate sacrifice he made for this woman he loved. But I guess Emily wrote none of this specifically, but these were little AI interactions happening like The Sims. Because when you mentioned that it was The Sims AI director, that that clicks for me. I, I see, oh, well, none of this is the story that Emily wrote. This is the stuff that I made happen with my choices.
2: Yeah, she will have written uh, various bits of the description and uh, some of the. Okay, this can happen here. Here's a major fork, but then a lot of the rest of it, particularly how okay. you can interact with the um, the other characters, that's all procedurally driven based off their needs and wants, uh, similar to uh, okay. similar to the Sims. Uh, so yeah, well, I I, I love playing this. There's, um, there's one of the. Uh, uh, women on that in that story and she's a drunk and um <laughs> it's great like her entire aim is to get blitzed during the game
0: and it's just awesome it's, <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, oh rats, right. absolutely fabulous like what's her Patsy? Yes. like I'm thinking of characters yes. like that now Patsy, that's oh. beautiful Patsy, Patsy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is uh, this is verse It's free for uh, I got it on the iPad. It's also on the yeah. PC, I presume, Rod. Uh, it's just on the iPad. I it is just
2: on the iPad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just right. Oh, and um, Android.
0: Uh, oh, right. That Google thing. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and one of the things, by the way, that I liked about it, one of the, uh, you know, I love and fall in London that there's so many like systems and stats that it attract. And Versue is very, very text based. And it's intentionally that way. But the guy, you know, the gamer in me who really wants stats and accomplishments It gives you goals as you play. You know, there are definite goals that you can click off of a list, and at the end of the story it tells you what goals you fulfilled. So even though it's very text-based, I like that it sort of addresses that gamer need in me to actually accomplish something. Um, All right, so that's uh, Linden Lab is also, what on earth is Dio? Uh,
2: Dio is um, a basically we had the idea of hey, why don't we take this idea of Second Life and remove the three D and uh make you know these little spaces uh where you can put whatever you want and you can tell whether people's avatars are there, but also make objects. Um and uh it's very much in you know it's not even Genesis. This is <laughs> this is this is, you know, the uh, the gleam in the milkman's eye. It's uh, <laughs> So it's very, very early, um, but it's a free web property. You can go and uh, check it out now. You can log in through Facebook if you like, or as many people hate that with the uh, hate of a thousand suns, you can just uh, – we pushed in today. You can log in anonymously uh, so you don't have to do any login, or you can just sign up if you want to make your own stuff. Then you can – make a space. Um, you can put uh, images in it. You can make, if you want, you can do choose your own adventure games. Um, we've got a few of those. Uh, and we've got this ability to do branching uh, in a web browser with um, uh, inventory objects. And it's really interesting to see how people are using it. So, uh, you know, people have used it to basically recreate their wedding. So you, you start out with um, both the couple getting up early Then you can follow the bride's path Or the groom's path And then you can go through the family's path um, uh, Each family, you get to follow the pictures um, You can uh, chat in each of the rooms Which is uh, permanent or temporary chat uh, And uh, what else have, have people used? A lot of, um, uh, uh, for real estate Making, like, walkthroughs of houses uh, That kind of thing um, and uh, somebody recreated uh, a Sherlock Holmes story in it from start to finish, uh, so it's a lot of fun.
0: And that's your—that's uh, the currently like the earliest thing as far as the stage that it's at. That's the yeah. thing that's farthest out for you guys at Linden Lab. Yeah, right? it's super. Yeah, right. Yeah. Good. All right, good. So uh, it sounds like uh, yeah, you guys aren't just Second Life anymore.
2: No, uh, and can I add two more?
0: Please do, yes, yes. What did I miss? I thought I covered everything. Wait, wait. Uh, oh, uh, Verse Is that the uh, create- other one? Yep. Is, um, uh,
2: it's, it's the only game uh, I've ever made that I've given to my kids to play that didn't make them cry.
0: Um, <laughs> what games that, that, are you giving your kids? That's terrible. <laughs> well, these are
2: kids' games in the past that I've made. <laughs> I've said, hey, kids, this is not for you, and it made them cry. Uh <laughs> Uh, Creativeverse, they they both love. And my daughter's five, and she loves it. Basically, you just – you can drag shapes in, and uh, you hit play, and it's got physics. So they bounce up and down, and um, it's uh, – it, it, it came from you – know, a lot of programmers will play with Box2D. It's kind of how the Angry Birds guys made Angry Birds. They're playing you know, with Box2D, and they're like, hey, you're tossing things around. Um, so we wanted to give that ability to uh, people and – uh, we're adding more and more features to it. Uh, we, uh, uh we've just revamped it actually. So it's free and you can uh, then do the unlocks of various features, um, that went in last week. Um, and again, the idea eventually is that people will be able, you can already share your content. You just hit upload. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we've got a lot of UI to work, work to do though. It's, it's kind of hard to use if you don't know what you're doing. Um, that's now, is
0: one. the one that I, I would have watched a video and like, if it just had brackets added, is that Creativeverse?
2: Uh, yes, that could be, and then Blocks World is the last one, and that's coming out hopefully end of May, June, and that's uh, on the iPad, and it's just this little uh, brick world that you get to put together all of these packs, and um, we're going to have cars and planes and pirates and animals, and uh, it's really cool, so so that's that's our uh, shtick right now.
0: Good, good, sounds like you guys are very busy. Um, that can't leave you much time to actually play mini games, though, Rod. So I can't imagine. Yeah, go I can't imagine what you got going for a game of the week.
2: Uh, would you like me to go for game
0: of the week? Actually, no. Let's do news of the week first. Let's have our vegetables before we have our dessert. Uh, <laughs> I know, no fun. Uh, Nick, what have you got going for your uh, news of the week this week?
1: So the news of the week uh, that I found really interesting to watch unfold um, was a news story that probably should never have become a story at all, but it just snowballed into this crazy uh, Microsoft issue. Uh, and, of course, I'm talking about um, Adam Orth's deal with it, Twitter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um
0: now, tell us so big, who Adam Orth is, because this is the thing that I'm kind of unclear on, like why this guy should know what he <laughs> claims to know. So, uh, Adam Orth is,
1: and apparently his title is, creative director um, at Microsoft. Now, the thing is, at Microsoft, there are a ton of creative directors. Basically, every other project at Microsoft has a creative director. Um, he does work in the Microsoft studios. Um, uh, the Microsoft Game Studios, I'm sorry. Uh, but it, nobody really seems to know what he does and and of course, you know, everything went into silent blackout mode immediately after this uh, incident. But Adam Orth uh, had a Twitter exchange with a couple people, one of them being a Bioware uh, developer as well. Um, and in the twitter exchange that uh, he says they were just joshing around and he was given this other guy at bioware a hard time about the rumors that the next xbox console would require an always online internet connection to function uh-huh. um so adam orth gets on twitter and he starts going back and forth he Tweets out a you know a, the hilarious picture of Obama with deal with it on it, uh, and uh, the person at Bioware, this gentleman named Manveer here, and I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, it, you know, gave him a little gave him a little ribbon and told him you know it's great if you've got internet where you are, but if you're living in the boondocks, you're you're going to be suffering. And and uh, Adam Orth's response was uh, you know why would I live in any of these terrible places? <laughs> Uh, So that didn't go over well. Now, normally, this shouldn't have really been a story. I mean, you know, two guys messing with each other on Twitter, I don't think it's a story. Uh, Somehow it got picked up by a bunch of news sites, and then a bunch of fans came out, and suddenly it was on every gaming site on the Internet that Adam Orth had confirmed uh, as an official spokesperson for Microsoft, that the next Xbox console was going to require an online connection. Um, and then
0: you, that was it. <laughs> but now, you say, Nick, that this shouldn't have gone any further and the two guys clowning around on Twitter. But But I kind of have to disagree with that because he's got to know that he's got, like, fans and press folks. Like, when you tweet stuff and you have, I presume this guy's got, like, hundreds of followers – it's gonna be picked up. It wasn't just him and Manvir here goofing around. They were goofing around basically on stage in front of a bunch of people. Like that's the nature of, of Twitter, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. And
1: I, I think when you know when I say it shouldn't have been a story, I think this is one of those things where uh, these two gentlemen forgot that they were on, right. you know. The internet. They they really should not have been joking about this kind of thing. And I you know, I get it, right? I I, I get that people get on Twitter, they think it's just like chat, and they just start, you know, <laughs> saying stupid things to each other. And, you know, maybe this guy, Adam Orth, forgot, oh, hey, one of my followers happens to be, you know, Polygon.com or you know, IGN or whatever, and <laughs> next thing you know, his you know pictures of his tweets are are winding up all over the internet um, <laughs> with the accusation that you know he's officially confirming this piece of news, right. uh, which you know nobody, at least nobody that that is following it, you know, at this point wants to be true, but seems more and more it may be. <laughs> now, why do you say seems more and more it may be? Well, it's uh, – so I think I think there's an issue right now with terminology. Um, one of the earlier rumors was that this console um, – and there, there have been a few sources for this, a couple of them which uh, have previously turned out to be very accurate. So people are putting a lot of stock in these sources. Um, there was some early rumors that uh, there was a leaked Xbox development document that came out And some of the text in there had mentioned that the next console codenamed Durango uh, would always be on. Uh And that's the way it was written. (laughs) Uh, And so people, I think, you know, they don't really know what that means. What does that mean? It's always on. Is it always connected? Is it just always powered? Is it like in a low power state when you, you know, think you've turned it off and it's downloading in the background? Nobody really knew, but, you know, the media being what they are, they just kind of ran with it and started going with the idea that, well, a pretty good indication that it's just going to be always online. Uh, And
0: and that if you're not online, you can't access your content, too. Like, that's the fear, I think, is that always on means on or nothing. Correct. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: think think that's the huge fear. And what's interesting about this story, uh, at least to me, uh, isn't just that it blew up, it's that... I think as far as all the stories that have been printed about this, they're overwhelmingly negative. None of the stories I've seen on this issue, whether or not the Xbox is, you know, always online and required to be online, uh, none of them have been positive. And it's just interesting to me that the more Microsoft stays silent about this, and I get yeah, I, obviously, I get marketing, and I understand that they've got a date that they're going to announce this, and they're going to roll everything out with the big production number. Um, uh, unfortunately, though, I think the more they let it go, you know, the more people are just framing this story as a negative. Uh-huh. So even if, I think, when they launch and say, hey, you know, our console is always on, period, again, not always online, even if they – you know, straight out, just say it's not a requirement, but hey, we'd like it to be on. I think at this point, it's so negative that it's gonna be really tough for them to overcome that,
0: so that yeah, like that, I think you're right is Nick is like the worst case scenario, but part of me uh wonders well, don't gamers have short attention spans? And, you know, once Microsoft starts pushing out the actual message about the game, about the the Durango, about the the next Xbox, once they start really pushing out their their talking points and and hitting those and getting those passed around in the press, won't most people forget about that? And I don't know. You know what? We'll we'll wait and see. Um, But I'm guessing, you know, they kind of have their hands tied. They can't very well address rumors without basically confirming stuff in advance um, like I don't I don't envy the the position that they're in and rod let me ask you I mean so you've obviously you know having worked at like EA like you've you've been in a situation where you know what it's like when bad press is getting out and you can't say anything about it uh, right. do you feel like Microsoft is doing the right thing here
2: um, I uh, well happily I don't know anything about um, uh, Microsoft's new platform because I, right. I but not at EA anymore, and we we uh, we don't make console games. Um, so uh, I don't know. Um, I saw that uh, story as well. I think that you know I'm I'm going to wait and see until um, they actually announce <laughs> the thing. Uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see what it is. Um, I think that uh, it will be fascinating to see what features um, the new consoles have. Um, you know we've seen a little bit of the. Uh, uh, the new PlayStation, it'll be interesting to see what the new Xbox is. But I, I honestly have no idea right now.
1: Um,
0: but you do think, I mean, would you, do you kind of feel that Microsoft, do you feel Microsoft is hurting themselves by not addressing rumors, or do you feel that that's kind of the right approach to take, is you just stick to your guns, stay quiet um, until you're ready to do your official announcements?
2: I No, I think that, um, so, you know, I've, 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 I've certainly dealt with... Um, an awful lot of negative uh, customer reaction in my time. <laughs> Quite a lot of it deserved. Um, I, I'd say that my um, my general approach is, uh, you know, the customer is, is rarely wrong. And um, I think that we're also, I, th- I think when it comes to these kinds of things, and I think you've talked about it, in the past, as well, Tom is you know things like um, information embargoes, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're in show business. You know, I, I mean, uh, some of us hope that we're also in a little bit of you know making art as well. But fundamentally, this is show business, and I, I think that um, we could we could do a lot more with um, uh, talking less about business models and. Um, mm-hmm revenue per user and more about hey this is the world i want to take you to and here's why it's cool and here's why it's exciting and um I, uh, I, I i sometimes worry that um it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking business model first um and less about the hey you know at the end of the day our job is to uh entertain and delight millions of people and that that's job one, and they you know they are our customers, and um, we need to attend to their needs.
0: I am um. a little jealous, actually. I'm a lot jealous of other forms of entertainment, like movies and books and music, uh, for many reasons. But one of the reasons I'm jealous of them is you you almost never have this kind of kerfluffle about say a new type of projector that's going to be installed in movie theaters. <laughs> or, you know, maybe you hear something about that red camera that Peter Jackson used, but for the most part, nobody cares about that because they want to talk about the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit trilogy. And uh, I, I'm just so... I For me, I, did, I, in a way, could not care less about the PS4 and the Durango. I just want to know about the, the games that, and the experiences that are going to be delivered on it. And it, it's just... It's constantly weird to me that... Gamers are so hung up in the, the technology and the, the delivery system. I, I've mentioned Whoa. recently that you know games are always covered in the technology section of a lot of the news aggregates, and that's ridiculous yeah. to me. We belong with the ex- in entertainment.
2: With, yeah, with the exception of the New York Times, which blessed their hearts at least for a while, there they had us in the uh, entertainment and art section, which was great. Um, uh,
0: yeah, you don't. I have always been uh, a big fan of the old gray lady. So
2: yeah, yeah. Um, But but just to defend. Uh, my, my fellow core cool gamers uh, for a moment. I, d- I don't think a lot of it is um, a reflex reaction at technology. A lot of it, I think, is um, uh, uh, gamers perceiving, um, uh, and sometimes correctly and sometimes incorrectly, but perceiving that, hey, this is something that's being put on me getting in the way of my entertainment. And, you know, to use your movie analogy – um it's you know, nobody's gonna microtransact you in a movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, if you'd like to uh, see the topless scene, that's gonna be an extra twenty cents right <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's just it's one of those things we'd be like, this is kind of bs and I think that um a lot of the um uh, you know the angry internet man that you see is is it, it, this validity there of like hey why why are these? business models and these technologies getting in the way of my enjoyment like uh, how how, what about me um so i think that there's there's some valid criticisms there and yeah it's been it's been a a very uh challenging uh you know four or five years i think for a lot of core gamers who are like geez you know another thing (laughs) could i just play games please (laughs) Uh, how about i give you money and i play a game how about that (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, can, can I bring up, though, an, an analog in movies that I, I wish it was more like this? Like like sometimes that happens in, in movies where the business model comes up and there's a flare-up and people push back against it. But then we kind of forget about it and it settles into this steady equilibrium. And maybe it's because gaming is more volatile than Hollywood at this point. But I think of in movies the debate around 3D. Uh, and how three d uh, it you know it 's obviously a business model decision it 's theater owners needing to compete with home watching uh, with you know streaming at home and and, and movie rentals. Um, and a lot of people resent what it does creatively, and there was a backlash against it. But I think it's kind of settled into this equilibrium where we get reuses of Jurassic Park, and then sure, a lot of movies are going to come out in 3D, but you can just see the normal version if you want. Uh, and that conversation, it seems to me, just quieted down, and we achieved this equilibrium, I- I- if you will. Uh, and I feel like I, I wish, I-, I just wish that we could be that dismissive of. Technology issues in video gaming, and just let it slide and let it sort of fade into the background of the discussion. Uh, so I don't know. It's so, so, a so I mean. good
2: counterexample. I, I, I do think over over time, uh, you know, people do it does find an equilibrium. I don't think um, you know people complain much about expansion packs anymore.
0: Compared, that's true, you know, right? Yeah, they're right. kind of regarded yeah.
2: as a good thing. Um, yeah. But
0: but or even DLC, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like DLC, we now accept that. That's like a business model that everyone's like, okay, fine. But yeah. you know, it, yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, but, but some you know some really are intrusive, and um, uh, we will see if they end up being real or not, um, and whether they survive. It's going right. to be fascinating.
0: Right. Uh, all right, so uh, Nick, that's uh, that's at Adam uh, Orth. What was his last name, Nick? Adam Orth. Adam Orth. All right. So uh, his Twitter, by the way, isn't it now private? It is now private. <laughs> All right. So no more Adam Orth shenanigans, I'm afraid. All right. I'll uh, briefly do my news of the week. Uh, there's a developer in Texas who has been around for a long time. They've done some great work and some less than great work. Uh, these folks called TimeGate. Uh, I know them from an RTS called Kohan and a really cool uh, shooter called Section 8. Some folks might also know them from a few unimpressive add-ons for fear. Uh, they were also recently, I think I'll use the verb, implicated in some of what happened with Colonial Marines, uh, the Aliens uh, Colonial Marines game. Uh, so hits and misses from TimeGate. But their next game... Uh, they just re- released a trailer for it. It's called Minimum. <laughs> it's called that because they have a purposefully... Uh, it's actually not that minimalist because it looks pretty good, but it's it's just polygons like stuck together for these kind of Tron-looking slash Darwinia characters uh, fighting in a kind of cyber world. Um, so it's their upcoming shooter. Uh, I loved the trailer. I loved some of the announcements about it one of which is that there is a, a titan mode where each side is helping this big, huge, lumbering giant, I guess, reach a goal. And in some of the trailers, you see that sometimes the two big giants, they bump into each other and they just start slugging it out while you're shooting around their feet. Uh, I just love the look of that. I love the vibe of it. Um, however, one thing they've also announced and this I'm less eager and less excited about, it's a free-to-play shooter so i know i guess it can work i mean there's there's some good free-to-play shooters right nick like what help me out here what's a non-terrible free-to-play shooter cool
2: (laughs) world of of tanks is free to play that's awesome
0: you know that's a fair point yeah Ah, but that's and that's like an mmo model though kind of isn't it yeah yeah it is yeah yeah that's that's actually here here's is not isn't isn't team fortress 2 free to play these days I
2: think it is. My son uh, spends a lot of money in that
0: game. <laughs> it sounds like your son, Rod, is buying hats or something. But I, I think,
2: oh, oh, it's amazing. Like he's, he's like, Dad, I need a key for this chest I got.
0: And oh, like, that. That's right. Oh, they are free to play because they have that insidious like locked box thing where you get a box, but you have to buy to open it, the key to open it.
2: My, Did- my son is the... He is that you know you you've played on a shooter where there's this person who's like completely poning you, and then you hear this squeaky little ten year old voice. Going, ha ha, noob! Yeah, that's my son.
0: <laughs> I'm trying really hard not to hate your son right now, Rod. <laughs> oh.
2: What do you think I feel when I say I see this little your Steam wallet is two dollars twenty five cents spent on a. <laughs> I've got to do chores for it. It's great. He he will literally happily take out garbage, walk the dog for a key. It's great.
0: Ah, there you go. The upside of of the Team Fortress 2 (laughs) business model. Good. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, uh, TimeGate is now entering the free-to-play arena. I know that they've struggled commercially with games like Section 8. I I think that that was a commercial disappointment, which is a shame because – That game was really good, and they just did so many smart design things there. So hopefully this will be a hit for them. I I wish them the best, and I love the look of Minimum, which uh, an alpha for that will be available uh, next week on April 16th. I saw the video
2: um, on your site, and uh, as you rightfully say, those guys have got somewhere there is either a team or a person in that company with some major design chops. Yeah. You know, if if they can bring to that genre what they did with uh, Cohan, boy, that'd be
0: just awesome. And they're in Texas too, Rod. Which to me is like, you know what? That's because I think of like uh, Id and Ion Storm. There's actually that's kind of a hot, a smaller, minor hotbed of development of designer chops is Texas, I believe. Austin,
2: yeah, Austin in particular. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, all right. So, uh, Rod, that leaves you. What do you have for news of the week?
2: Uh, My news of the week, I I called an audible at the line of scrimmage. Notice how (laughs) I'm fitting in culturally, by the way.
0: That's Uh, a soccer reference, I believe. I know (laughs) my sports. (laughs) Uh,
2: um, And uh, it is uh, Timber and Stone, which I uh, discovered on – there's this great uh, website called Quarter to Three. uh, It's got forums. (laughs) And um, uh, it apparently – uh, we were talking uh, uh, before you came on, and ap- apparently it had a Kickstarter, and they've just released it, so I just bought it. And it is, and I'm just going to read you a few of the uh, uh, inspirations for this game.
0: Wait, before uh, you do that, I just want to say, just from a marketing perspective, uh, yeah. so they've called this game Timber and Stone. I've seen that there's a thread on it, but I don't know anything about it. Nick, yeah. do you know anything about this? Uh, I do know a little bit about it, but but only
1: because... Uh, only because Rod and I cheated and, and looked at the website.
0: Okay, so then I just wanna guess what this is only knowing the name. I don't okay. know anything about it. But I'm gonna if you come to me and you say Timber of Stone, first of all, my first reaction as a strategy gamer and a guy who loves Euro board games I want to play this. Like, that's my first reaction is timber. Oh, what is that? I want to play it because it sounds like you're starting with very basic materials and you're doing some kind of like crafting or upgrading or building. Maybe it's like a city builder strategy game set in the frontier yeah. era. Um, am I close? So that's what I think. Very close. Okay. Yeah. Right, so hit me. Give me more. Make me more excited, Rod. What is
2: uh. this? It is a, um, it's kind of a city builder, kind of a, um, RTS, um, uh, I want, here we go, this is from the website, um. I wanted to see trebuchets destroy castles, trees, and earth, uh, a game where I not only got to build an army, but also have to feed that army by farming, fishing, hunting, and foraging. Oh, yeah. I'm in love. (laughs) With an intuitive crafting system that allows me to engineer siege equipment by felling trees, create brick to fortify my walls, blacksmiths who forge armor for military. Such a game didn't exist, so I decided to create it. And this is the kicker. Are you ready? Strap in. I, uh, gaming trousers on. Inspiration comes from games like Caesar, Zeus, Age of Empires, Dwarf Fortress, and Minecraft.
0: I'm ready. That, oh. that The word that comes to mind when I hear that is sexy.
2: And Timber and Stone is essentially a sandbox game where the player is allowed to create any style of settlement, village, or kingdom he, or presumably she, wishes. That is awesome. I'm ready. I'm going to download and to play
0: tonight. Oh wait, wait! You said something about a Kickstarter. So the Kickstarter is done and it's out. It's this it's, is game it's you... out. Yeah, I, I don't, don't do Kickstarter. That, that's because I have the same thing. <laughs> like I hear about something on Kickstarter, and I'm like, fine. Come talk to me when you've done with, when you're done with the game. I I I want to hear about things I can play now. So Timber is out. Wow, it is okay. I
2: bought it just before uh, the podcast started, and I got the download instructions. So hopefully, I'm playing it tonight.
0: Nick, did you know that this is out? No. Wow. All right. Well, Rod, that's news. That is news for us. There you go. News of the week. (laughs) You, I think you win. Good. (laughs) Uh, By the way, it's also just timber and stone. Like I think of the ways that that name could have gone wrong. Like if you were (laughs) to name a game like wood and rock. Right. I I don't want to play that. So, but but timber and stone.
2: Twig and pebble.
0: Right, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> lumber, and although lumber actually no, because lumber makes me think of like a hardware store. I don't, I don't want to play anything that's like like lumber and yeah. There's ways it could have gone wrong. They hit the little magic uh, word, just I'm that sweet have... spot with ver- with terms.
2: Oak, oak and granite. That could have been pretty cool. <sighs>
0: Oh, because then, oak, oh, yeah, like you use the oak to make warships and then the granite to make statues to commemorate your your majesty as a ruler. Uh, oh, I, I like that. I, you know, I can see, Rod, you should be in marketing. You should be a, C, you should be a CEO of a game company. Oh, madness. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's actually now talk some games of the week, stuff that we've actually played that we may or may not like. Um, Nick, why don't you start us off? What have you chosen for your game of the week? So
1: the game I've been playing uh is uh it's not uh, actually a full game yet but it is it is an alpha and it is for sale on Steam so I'm going to go ahead and treat it like it's out. Um it is the Arma 3 Alpha.
0: Oh yeah, But wait, yeah, okay. I don't know. I'm more war- I'm
1: scared about this. Go ahead. So, yes, this is not for the faint of heart. Um so the so the Arma games. If you're uh, not familiar with them, uh, this comes from the uh, guys who made the original Operation Flashpoint. Um, so it's uh, Bohemia Interactive. Um, they make super detailed, super hardcore uh, military sims, um, and I, the best description I've heard of the Arma series is that. It is a game where they are trying to simulate you in a soldier's body. <laughs> so it kind of explains example, a lot about
0: the interface, by the way. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So, so for example, uh, in the game, you know, it comes with a campaign. Which, uh,
0: by the way, the campaigns are all not super great. Um, you, you say that though, Nick. But the thing is, like, I jumping into like an ArmA two campaign, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. I love what they're going to try to do. And then somewhere along the line, it just kind of falls apart and becomes horrible. Uh. Like the campaigns, you're right, they're not great, but they're they're heartbreakingly not great. Like they, I want them to be great, and I feel like they should be great. And uh, yeah, they're just they're so heartbreaking. The same thing they <laughs>
2: But but isn't this one of the game series, though, that really should be played uh, multiplayer with buddies, with beers? Um, uh, I don't know whether the new one is multiplayer.
0: Well, not only that, but I think with also, like, with user-generated content, like scenarios that people have made that you can play in lieu of the campaign. uh, Yeah, Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, famously, uh, you know, DayZ, the mod, the big zombie mod that everybody loves, was made from... You know, uh, Arma 2. Right. Um, So, yeah, the community is huge. They're hardcore. They love it. Uh, And so with Arma 3, the alpha, you're not really getting much. You're getting a little island of land. Um, I mean, it's fairly large, large enough for you to tool around in. You get... Three or four different soldier types, um, and uh, a couple of vehicles, and I think a helicopter on each side—the the blue force and the red force, or whatever you want to call it. They're supposed to be like NATO forces versus. And, and I'm I'm gonna love seeing when the campaign comes out uh, how they explain this. But apparently, uh, Iraq has invaded Greece.
0: <laughs> Wait a minute! What <laughs> year is this? Yeah.
1: <laughs> like I'm. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to love seeing the explanation for this. Um, you
0: know, there is that famous Iraqi port in the Aegean Sea, I believe. <laughs> they just sally forth from that and uh, conquer how, Greece.
2: How does that, I mean, do they go through Turkey or... I, mean... <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I, I don't I, know if you've heard of this. There are things called paratroopers. Okay.
2: So... <laughs> I guess to go over Turkey.
1: Now, you know, and of course, Armour 3 right now, I, I think... It's probably more infamous for being the game that got a couple guys locked up in Greece uh, for spying.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot about Uh,
1: that. Yeah, a couple of the devs went over there. Uh, They say they were just being tourists and that they were just taking photos as tourists. They were not taking photos, they say, as reference shots for the game. Um but they were in, you know, Greece taking photos and, uh, well, the Greek government didn't like it. So they arrested him and
0: uh, accused him that. Wait, do we know how that turned out? What happened to the guys? Uh,
1: well, at this moment, they are out. Uh, they're back home. Um, they spent a couple months in jail. Uh, but apparently there is a pending trial. Okay. So I don't. I don't know how that's going to turn out. I, I, I would hope that these guys are not crazy enough to go back there for the trial. <laughs> I, who, who'd have thought uh,
2: ta- taking photos of a military installation in between the Balkans <laughs> and the Middle East would get you
1: into trouble? I know. Oh. That's, that's crazy.
0: <laughs> Those well, guys are bad. bad. Yeah, knowing the lengths they went to now for their Iraq versus Greece campaign, uh, I feel that's bad. Cool. That's, that's a, bit, a high price to pay. Uh, well, so how was it? So it is then. It's just a mul- basically a multiplayer arena. Is that what the alpha is?
1: Well, no, it's actually um, it, it, there is single player in that there is there's a couple of canned scenarios that they have made basically to just kind of introduce all the different stuff you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's a there's an infantry scenario, there's a vehicle scenario, there's a scuba scenario, which Ooh. is kind of crazy. Uh, And then there's, a, I think, a helicopter flight scenario. Uh, And then, of course, there's multiplayer where you can just go on servers that people have set up, and you can do whatever. People have all sorts of scenarios that they've made already in the editor, uh, which, uh, you know, oh, go attack this hill, there's an enemy force on there, blah, 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 and then they go do that. Um, So what's been fascinating to me, though, is... I played Arma 2, never really got into the multiplayer too much, which apparently I was missing out. Arma 3, I've been getting a little bit more into the multiplayer, and it's mind-boggling how serious some of these participants take it. And I'm speaking as someone who, you know, spent 10 years in the army, so (laughs) it's just interesting to me the way these guys play. They go through infantry tactics and radio call sign uh, discipline probably a uh, hundred times more disciplined than anyone I've ever met actually in the army. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, this is that hardcore? <laughs> is that off-putting or does that sort of like, is that cause I hear that and I think, Oh, I don't know that I want to jump into that. Like it is. Does that make it better or worse? Uh, you know, that's kind of a toss-up. It, it really
1: is. I, I I find it interesting, just because I'm always interested in those odd little corners of the Internet. Um, as someone who maybe just sees Arma 3 on Steam and thinks, oh, isn't that that game that they made out of zombies or something and downloads it? I, I would expect that that would be a real shock to the system, to try to jump into a multiplayer game where everybody's using call signs and... <laughs> You know, infantry terms, and then calling out, like, literally calling out compass directions to, you know, which way to go. <laughs> I, I mean, these guys are really into it, and, uh, I, I mean, good for them. They're having a lot of fun, but, boy, as a new player, I can't even imagine.
0: All right, now here's a, a $64,000 question, Nick. How does it look? Uh,
1: it actually looks really good. It looks really I, – I think these guys, they said – Uh, The developers have said that uh, they really wanted to improve the animation system, which, again, if you're familiar with ARMA or ARMA 2, the animations were never all that great. People kind of, you know, uh, the best thing you could say is they skipped some frames in animation. (laughs) Um, So it looks a lot smoother. Uh, the mouse acceleration, which they had a lot of in Armor 2, is now gone. So it actually plays more like a I guess. But, you know, keep in mind, this is still a game where you'll be walking along and the enemy infantry 300 yards away will shoot you. And right. game over. That's it.
0: Which, by the way, I think is one of the reasons that they didn't necessarily have to fuss so much with animation. It wasn't like Call of Duty, where you're actually toe to toe with the people you're shooting and you can see all the detail. Uh, you know, I think that was a game where draw distance was way more important than animation uh, originally. All right, so uh, Arma 3, the Alpha, is now out. And the, uh, is the deal, Nick, that you buy it and then you can get into the Alpha? Uh,
1: the deal is you buy it, uh, you can immediately get into the <laughs> And I think right now it's like thirty-five dollars if you jump in now, and then later, of course, as they move into a beta, it'll go up to forty or forty-five, and then a final release at fifty or
0: whatever. Is there a release date for ArmA three? Is it this year, or is, it a, is are they doing a when it's done kind of deal? Do we know?
1: I have not seen a release date on this. I've, I've checked around their website. I think it is a when it's done. Um, they, right. they they did admit that they had uh, some development issues, mostly because of the two guys that got locked away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's, you know what? There, there aren't a lot of, I feel, I feel there are a lot of empty excuses that companies make when they have delays for release dates. That I don't think is one of them. <laughs> I feel like that. Okay. You can buy a little time. <laughs> you you got to give pass for that, right? Well, right. All
1: right. One Thanks day. Greece.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So a uh, little Arma three, um, by the way, do we also know when the standalone Daisy game is being released? Does that have a date?
1: Oh, I don't think that has a date either. Right. I think okay. that's it. A, that's a definitely a when it's done. Right,
0: uh, uh, Rod. Were you ever much of an ArmA guy? I know you like that kind of I, thing.
2: I a- loved. It. I loved ArmA. I still haven't uh, bought the new one. I'm. I'm going to uh, buy it now. Um, but I, I love. I love the ArmA series. The first one. Um, gave me uh, some of my peak gaming experiences. I still remember being hunted through the forest by the BMPs and the squads. Yeah. Uh, it was
1: great. Yeah. <laughs> now,
2: now, are you one of the
1: hardcore guys? Are you? No, God no, oh, no. I,
2: the way the way I play armor, and it's been I don't know, it's been a couple of years since I played armor, but. Um, yeah you know, i be- i belong to a couple of um online guilds and you know, literally we pile in it's all versus the computer <laughs> everyone's got to be a there, there ain't no radio discipline i can tell you that <laughs> um and uh you know we have at it and uh the the most hilarious ones are when uh you know we we try and pick who's going to for example fly the helicopter because <laughs> you know that never really ends well <laughs> um but, but we've had some great times like crashing the helicopter into a village one of us surviving like trying to make it's just great um so uh, i, I, I dinkly... oh, yeah. go ahead
0: sorry
2: no no i fully intend to play the new armor the same way um with, with my pals
0: I, I distinctly remember, uh, a, I think, a mission. It wasn't really a mod because there's support for this in the game, but playing a multiplayer mission where you all get dropped around a map and you have to find each other. Uh, and just that idea of, you know, where is everybody else? And then chatting and trying to say, well, I see this mountain and just trying to do that with more casual friends. And just what an it awesome, it's like a Hunger Games kind of experience, I, I guess. Uh, just dropped into this hostile territory and you have to find each other and then band together. Uh, I love that. So. That's true so
1: and, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, then just like Hunger Games at the end, it's just kissing.
0: Wait a minute, that's not how we played. Hold on. <laughs> I didn't get that far into the mod. <laughs> well, then you didn't play for, it right. <laughs> suddenly I'm in second life here. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, Nick, Arma 3. So my game of the week, uh, I'll mention real quickly, uh, is also a shooter played on a big, wide-open map. However, it's also an MMO. Um, I'm not crazy about this thing. The more I play it, the less I like it. It makes a real good, splashy first impression. But Defiance, which is the shooter-slash-MMO from Tryon, who are the folks who made uh, Rift? Rifts or Rift? I forget if it's singular or plural. Anyway, they made another great MMO. Uh, Defiance is this tie-in with a sci-fi channel uh, TV series that starts next week whatever i couldn't care less about any of that it's mainly a kind of an open world shooter uh that where the shooting is actually really good but the problem is the more you play it the more you realize that there are for lack of a better word not very many verbs in the game you just shoot you know there are a lot of mmos Mix things up by having you different kinds of having you do different kinds of activities. Like you know, there's there's crafting, and then there's guild missions, and there's instances, and then there's uh, there's different tracks of advancement, and of course there's tanking and healing and DPSing and all that stuff. Uh, when you have a shooter, a lot of that there's not much room for a lot of that, or at least the way that the Tryon has made Defiance. Uh, you basically are just shooting at things, and after a while. There's this sense of, well, is there anything else to do? Uh, and there isn't. Um, so, But the shooting is good, so that part is holding up. Um, one of the things that I miss in Defiance that I like in other MMOs or even action RPGs is I think the loot chase has some serious problems in that you get a really cool gun and you put mods on it and you make it a better gun and you play with it for a while and it fills up this little experience part point bar and then your gun levels up and it gets a special ability but the problem is that as soon as you max out a gun like that, which is something you naturally want to do, you're no longer developing your character's skill with that gun Like I feel it makes a a huge tactical error by stopping character advancement once you max out your weapon advancement Uh, and I find that a a huge turnoff. like suddenly I've got this great gun and I'm being penalized for using it Um, they have a really cool thing they borrowed from Rift called Arc Falls, and I'm afraid I haven't paid enough attention to the fiction to really understand it, but the idea is that every now and then, a uh, crystal falls out of the sky, and everybody has to fight to protect the crystal from monsters or bandits or whatever, uh, and it, it encourages, because it's kind of an open-world shooter, you know, it lights up on the map, and everybody playing is like, oh, there's an arc Fall, let's run to it, and let's have a big, crazy battle, and... What should be this epic firefight, to me, just looks ridiculous. It's just it's literally like you know, you've got maybe fifty people shooting. And there's monsters popping up and then dying quickly. and uh, most people in a shooter, their reaction, their their in- instinct is to just bang on the space bar and keep jumping. Uh, so you've got people just hopping around in these big crowds and there's no collision detection of course because it's an MMO so people are passing through each other and shooting through each other and it's, and, and there's no action beyond, you know, nobody's tanking nobody's healing because the game doesn't need that it doesn't have that, everybody is DPS and it's just everybody just pouring on damage, some of them have shotguns some of them have assault rifles, so the only thing that varies is how close to the monster some of them are standing and yeah, you're throwing your grenades in but it's just this ridiculous splash of like polygons and then shooting effects and goofy explosions And and if you have the numbers turned on, it looks kind of dramatic to see your damage flying up But it's kind of ridiculous, and what happens is after you kill a certain number of monsters, you have secured the arc Fall. And it happens suddenly. So the arc blows up. I don't understand the fiction, but it's suddenly gone. It's vanished. All the monsters vanish. And there's this really weird moment where everybody's just kind of standing there. After all this chaos, it vanishes and evaporates, and it's suddenly like 60 dudes just standing in a field. With nothing to shoot at, there's no treasure chest to go pick up. Like, you feel everybody – when I first started playing, people would instinctively run to where the big old meteor was because you would think, well, yeah, there's going to be treasure in there. There's no treasure reward for doing these arc falls. Sometimes there are monster drops and when you kill monsters, but no treasure appears. So in the early days of this, people would run and stand there, and and you could sort of imagine everybody hunched over their keyboard waiting to click on the treasure, and nothing appears. So you stand there, and then they kind of look awkwardly at each other, and they start slinking away, and everybody gets a vehicle that you can pull out when you press a button. So people's ATVs and cars start appearing, and they kind of gradually disperse. And it reminds me, because of that awkward pause and how this, this crazy bacchanalia of shooting guns just stops abruptly and leads to this awkward pause, and then people dissipate, it reminds me of like a college keg party where suddenly the beer runs out. Uh, (laughs) And and everybody's just, oh, well, I I guess we'll go somewhere else now. (laughs) Uh, But I really, you know, if you just want to jump in and shoot stuff, it it looks good. There's some cool gunplay, but it's just kind of wearing at its welcome for me. I I sort of am getting to the point where I feel there needs to be more, and I'm a little bit concerned that there isn't more. So. That's a uh, defiance for you. But who knows? Actually, the TV show starts next week. I plan on uh, watching it, seeing what they're going to do. And maybe, you know, if they've played their uh, their their cross-media hybridization correctly, you know, maybe it will renew my interest in the MMO. We'll see.
2: So the, uh, it, it, it may have some de- – I haven't played it myself, but I uh, – I know Bill Trost, I think, is working on it, and he was a designer on uh, EverQuest, and uh, I think a little bit of EverQuest, too, as well. And uh, when I worked with him, he had some good system design ideas. You
0: know, the guys at Tryon, I I really do – like, if you look at Rift, they really know what they're doing. Like, Rift, I was really dismissive of it until I played it. Rift has just some really smart design stuff in terms of of kitting out your character and in terms of how the equivalent – how the Rifts really drive the – your movement through the map, and they mix up the gameplay. Um, right. So I can see some of those smarts clearly in evidence in Defiance, um, but I, I just feel like it, it, it just needs a little more. It needs more systems, I think. Right. And I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they intended it to just be a more streamlined, straightforward shooter, and they just don't want a lot of that sort of MMO detail or baggage. Uh, And you know what, as far as just being like a Borderlands, kind of just jump in and shoot and level up, I could totally see that working for some people. Um, So, And you know what, there's another thing too, an MMO on its launch is often very different from an MMO a month after its launch or six months after its launch. So this is not an MMO with a subscription fee. Once you've purchased it, you get it for as long as you want. So uh, it's not the sort of thing where, you know, go ahead and get it now and look at it, and you can rest assured that they're probably going to do a lot of work on it over the coming months. Cool. (laughs) All right, so, uh, Rod, what's this Kriegspiel thing (laughs) <laughs> so this was, that was not your Game of the Week. What is your Game of the Week instead is kind of like that, but with a less intimidating German name, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, my, uh,
2: uh, my Game of the Week is a um, – well, I, I, I got two because one might be of broader interest. Uh, but the main one I'm playing is um, – it's called World of War, The Untold Stories, mm-hmm. and it's uh, a board game. And it's a little bit like – well, it is a – it's a platoon uh, based uh, war game hex encounter in um, the cold war that uh, cold war that goes hot you know the uh, the conflict that never happened and um, I I love it it's a it's a it's a pretty big series it started out with um, it's called Eisenbach gap. And uh, they've done a whole bunch of other, of other ones. And uh, this is the one I'm cracking out right now. I'm playing. It's basically little uh, little battles that you play. It takes about an hour to two hours to play an entire battle, and there are a whole bunch of scenarios for it. Um, so it's
0: head to head, right? It's like a two player game. It
2: is, but I play it solo, like I do most Hex Encounter war games.
0: What? How yeah, hunched over,
2: hunched over in my uh, little bunker.
0: Um, I don't believe you for a second. No, you're 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 probably. Are you pressing your son into service? Do you have a group? No, no, no. No, no,
2: I I play um, uh, almost all of my uh, big war games solo. Yeah.
0: Wait, that's. Uh, Do you know what the other guys doing all the time?
2: That's okay. I I'm playing it for the joy of the simulation to see what where the story will go. I don't even uh, check who wins or loses. Half of them.
0: Rod, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) I'm am speechless. I, I, I don't know what to say to that. Well, Bruce, you have any Bruce, friends? understand, Bruce. Well, understand. okay. You know what? If you if you're if you're basically telling me right here and now that you are as much of a of a wargaming aberration as Bruce Garrick, fair point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, oh. but don't don't I, I just I don't know. Uh, Nick, you talk to Rod. Can you talk some sense into him, Nick? Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do that. <laughs> so wait a minute. So you're playing this solo, uh, you just like play one side, then you turn the board around, you play the other side, and is, is yeah. it just the dice driving the game then, basically? What's uh, what's going uh, on here?
2: Each, the, uh, the, uh, this game in particular um, helps solo play because it's uh, chip-based, so you each formation's got a counter and a cup, and so you pull it out to see which formation moves, and sometimes an entire turn can go without a formation moving, and uh, so the last battle I played was... Um, it was uh, Russian Marines trying to hold out out versus a, a Dutch counterattack, mm-hmm. and uh, being relieved by this big Soviet armored column. And uh, it was great. Like there was this big city fight where eventually the Dutch battled their way in, and then an F-16 strike came in and hit the Soviet uh, column. But then the Soviets managed to uh, drive out the uh, the Dutch. Uh, it was great, thrilling stuff. Thrilling stuff. Um, Do you know? Uh, sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, do, you, do you not have any friends that you can sell on this? Because if I, you're selling me, you're explaining <laughs> what you're explaining now. I'm like, oh yeah, I'd totally play that with you. Have you tried so, explaining this to people you work with? Maybe they would play with you.
2: Actually, they would. There's a whole bunch of board gamers here. Um, but these are, you know, sometimes you just want to relax by yourself. And nice, I, uh, you want to get out a big map of Europe and conquer it over a glass of port. <laughs> <laughs> the privacy of your own war room.
0: <laughs> but now this, you mentioned it's platoon-based, so it's... Scout uh, uh...
2: platoon. Uh, okay. It's similar to Panzer Blitz, or um, if anybody's ever played Squad Leader, it's a little bit of a level above that. Um, and it's it's great. And it's, it's because I'm going through this Cold War phase. Um, I'm actually, I want to do a little indie art game about um, you controlling the Warsaw Pact Air Forces in a Cold War. Um, so I'm playing a little bit of uh, this World, World at War, Untold mm-hmm. Stories, and... Um, On the computer game, uh, a game I know you've played, uh, Wargame European Escalation.
0: Now uh, now you're talking, yeah. Which is
2: just fabulous. Uh, That is a a great RTS that I think, um, a a terrible title, but is really underappreciated. I I love the fact that Wargame European Escalation basically has got supply mechanics built into an RTS. And um, it almost looks as if it's tossed in, but it's just Brilliant. Brilliantly done. I love that game.
0: Yeah, like supply Uh, and damage and the whole – yeah, like the things like you've got to worry about the fuel capacity of certain tanks versus other tanks. Like, yeah, they they stealth that kind of nerdy war game stuff into a really beautiful uh, graphics-based action RTS. Um, It is.
2: And and, and again, much in keeping with uh, it sounds like the new armor campaign – uh, a game that I would wholeheartedly recommend everybody skips the campaign. Just, just ignore it, move on, don't even bother, go straight into the multiplayer or skirmish versus the AI, and unlock your units and build up your army that way. Like, don't right. bother with a single player.
0: Now, I say that about most campaigns, and I normally agree with you, but I do feel like the the, the unlocking is a big part of what sells European Escalation, because it's got this great catalog of Cold War toys, and as you are in you get to purchase new ones for your your deck, I think they even call it, but it's basically these are the the units you can use when you play a game. Uh, the the rate of unlocking is much faster if you go through some of those campaign missions. That is true. Uh, and I, I kind of wish that they brought the skirmish up, that, to those of us who didn't want to play that, that they'd rewarded you more for some of the skirmish stuff um but uh yeah so uh do you have a do you prefer uh NATO or Warsaw Pact when you play European Escalation
2: um i, I Warsaw Pact um and i like to play with um a uh an east european or real low tech force with um lots of uh are they BTR 60s or 70s? Um, lots of infantry, and then bring up the old uh, T55s, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, usually with a, a nice spine of uh, uh, havoc helicopters in the background. So mm-hmm. once you've got everything pinned, and you you start to get uh, some resources, then you can bring in your high tech weaponry. Um, I, I love, great-
0: yeah, I love how they model helicopters as really powerful but really frail. And if you're careful as a player, you can easily counter them and basically just milk the other guy for points. You know, you get some fool who loves his helicopters too much, and if you play your cards right, that's the game right there. You're just going to win on points. Uh, So so I love how frail, flexible, and powerful air power is.
2: Uh, And I love the way they did the uh, air mobile um, stuff as well. Like I remember one game uh, that uh, I was on the winning side. It was a big team one. But I, I basically just had an entirely mobile force. I think I was dropping, like, SAS um, platoons behind the enemy lines and then taking out their artillery camps.
0: Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just great. It's such a great game.
2: And they've got a new one. Air, um, what is it? Air Land War or something?
0: Air Land Battles, I believe. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <there you> <laughs> they, they really need to talk to those Timber and Stone guys about <laughs> names. <making laughs> <these days.
2: laughs> they really do.
0: Uh, all right, so Wargame European Escalation, uh, I I love that as well. I think that's you know people who talk about oh RTSs are all Starcraft, absolutely not. Like that's a great recent RTS uh, that uh, I I think it's for all of its kind of Cold War hardware that might seem kind of esoteric and semi, it's a pretty accessible game I've found. Um, I, th- I think so.
2: It can, it can take as much nerd dim as you want to throw at it, but I think it's accessible. At a high level. And, and the, the thing I love about, you know, a lot of Cold War games uh, is um, it's kind of guilt-free for me. Like, as a historical wargamer, I always have this pang of guilt. <laughs> like, you know, if I'm playing World War Two, it's like, oh, you know, really? Do I want to be the U-boat commander sinking the British thing? Like, really? <laughs>
0: Wait a minute, but you, you, you don't feel that way about the Cold War? You know, well,
2: the Cold War it never happened. So, you know, nobody's really dying, and it's like, well, now I can...
0: Oh, I see. As far as it going hot, as far as the actual open conflict, I see what you're saying.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like, it didn't actually happen. So I can guilt-free, you know, stonk these these guys, and I... Yeah, I have to say, with a lot of historical war games, I do have this pang of like, oh, I don't know about this.
0: Right, right. When you're know. playing the Battle of the Bulge, men actually died there. When you're playing yeah. the Fold to Gap, it might as well be orcs and elves for for whether or not it actually happened. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, uh, you mentioned a uh, – so I, I know, Rod, you've done some uh, – I don't want to say artsy – indie games. We'll call them like indie experimental games. Uh <laughs> this is fun okay and and well I I you know you've got them on your website and one of the things that you do I don't know if you do it for all of them but I remember looking at marriage uh, which yeah. is a game you made very abstract uh, and you even sort of confess this isn't about the gameplay it's sort of about the concept and the artistic statement yeah. uh, and you even and I hate this by the way I wish you hadn't have done this if you read enough about what you've written about marriage you explain like what it means, <laughs> like it's sort of like if somebody makes this cool ambiguous artistic movie, when you ask the director, well, what did this represent and what did that mean, uh, most directors worth their salt will refuse to interpret that for you. <laughs> yeah. You, however, Rod Humble, you are more than well, you are more than willing to spell out. <laughs> For all the people who are slow or in the cheap seats or whatever, this means right. this, and this means that, and this represents that, and so right. uh, it robs a little bit of the mystery and the, the artsiness of it when you explain it all. Um,
2: I did do that, and actually, uh, uh, Jonathan Blow gave me a hard time about that as well, and he was like, hey, you know, I really wish you hadn't done that. In my defense, I I, I, I kind of did it once. Um, and, you know, back in the mists of time in 1995 or 1996, whenever I did uh, The Marriage, um, it, it you know, it, it really was kind of tough to get people to buy in that, hey, uh, you know, you can kind of make something that's uh, trying to aspire to have artistic merit um, within the medium of games. And um, the, the one knock that... A lot of modern art got, um, which I disagree with because I'm uh, super into uh, a lot of modern art, and I love the conceptual stuff. But a lot of the knock was you're letting people put an interpretation on it and actually just threw some crap up against the wall. And <laughs> I, I was like, you know, I, I that's not going to fly with this one. I am going to lay it out. <laughs> Step by step, and, you know, I, I, I'm sorry if it's ruined some of the romance, Um and I, I certainly haven't done it with my latest, I didn't do it with um, Perfect Distance that I did last year, Um and I haven't done it with any of those, but with the first one, I was like, yeah, let, let, you know, with the rest, please assume there is as much thought gone into it, but with that one, yeah, I kind of, here's, here's how the sausage is made. Uh, fair
0: enough yeah and it, good gaming has come a long way since then so yes it
2: right great I, uh, boy I'm you know so happy I didn't think uh, it would happen as quickly as it did it's been great
0: uh, so you did mention uh, when you when you talked about the Cold War wanting to do some sort of an indie project about did you say the Warsaw Pact Air Force like it, it's, yeah. it's something that specific right
2: yeah well the um. so I did um. I did one about the Eastern Front of World War II uh, a couple of years ago Staff OKH, where you were Oh, just, yeah,
0: right.
2: You're sitting, yeah, you're sitting just below Hitler but above the army commanders, so you're kind of this stuck-in-upper-middle-management role. Um, so I did that, and the new one I want to do is um, uh, the. Uh, there's been a lot of documents that have emerged about the uh, battle plans of the Warsaw Pact during the Cold War, and I want to put you in the role of the air commander of um, uh, the Warsaw Pact, Air armies. And this comes back to actually a thread that was on Quarter to Three, which is this great site you should check out. Um, And it was talking about uh, the old Microprose games. Um, And, uh, you know, they they had career modes and they were always exploring, uh, at the time, a lot of interesting Cold War stuff. But they always went the extra mile in terms of gameplay systems of like, hey, we're going to make it worth your while. We're going to put in this depth and these systems. Uh, they're just really stretched, and you know nobody's doing it anymore. And I, I want to do that. Uh, that's not true. I, uh, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, plenty of people are doing it anymore, but, but I wanted to do. I want to do it where you're controlling the air forces of Warsaw Pact or NATO, and um, uh, give that those ex, that extra depth of oh, and you know I'm going to have a career mode, and I'm going to have uh, these extra things, and. Um, Uh, So I'm looking forward to it, and a lot of it is this this a whole bunch of new research coming out of what actually the Warsaw Pact plans were, and at the time, if you you know I'm I've got a whole bunch of um, uh, books written at the time in the West, and they're like, well, you know, the Warsaw Pact of, and the Soviets have decided that you know they're going to go for a conventional force because they can't uh, they can't out nuke NATO. Um, and, you know, clearly they're not going to use tactical nukes, nukes because it would um, escalate. Mm-hmm. And then you get the leaks, and so far they've come from the Czech Republic and East Germany. So, you know, we'll see whether the ones that come from the full Soviet Union are the same. Mm-hmm. But their battle plans are, nope, we're going to drop um, 100 tactical nuclear weapons on oh. various NATO <laughs> sites, and then tanks are going to advance forward. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you guys weren't messing around. <laughs>
2: And you know, we want to be at the French border within two weeks, and then we want to be at Spain, and here's how we drive forward. And these are, you know, operational plans that were very similar to the way um, the Soviet Army were behaving at the uh, – during, you know, the latter end of World War Two, which is massive artillery prep. And, you know, we don't care the, you know, <laughs> that we are going to barrage and then do the exploitation, have a series of echelon attacks um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. It's a fascinating period, and I'm really looking forward to programming. I started uh, this last weekend, so it's super fun.
0: So when you, when you think about when, when you're making this game, Rod, and maybe you don't have an answer for this, but uh, do you make it with a political point in mind? Is the idea that there's some sort of a cautionary tale to be learned here, or is it more of a morbid fascination? Um, what, what's the impetus behind wanting to, to highlight this?
2: Um, I do want to I,
0: – I, uh, increasingly
2: with um, uh, Stavker KH and Perfect Distance last year, I like the idea of putting you in a role where there's this craziness going on. Like there's this world event, and you're like, oh, my goodness, like, you know, I'm actually a party to this. Um, and yeah, with Perfect Distance, you were kind of along for the ride. Um, and, uh, yeah, I want to see, I want this deep strategy game based in this appalling situation. And what I'd like the player to be doing is, uh, really having an enjoyable strategy game and then occasionally looking up and saying, wait a minute, did we just tactical nuke Hamburg? Like, <laughs> and, uh, what about our guys? <laughs> like, never mind about the other guys. What about our guys? What just happened? <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. So that's that's what I'd like to do. Uh,
0: having I, I presume we're about the same age, but having grown up during the Cold War, uh, I just remember this perception as as a child, as a teenager, as someone growing up and becoming fascinated with with the military. And I got into it through model airplanes and stuff. Uh, growing up with this perception that you know what we might just end the world. That that you know this might be how all of this turns out. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't think that exi- exists anymore. I mean, people think, of course, of the, you know, the, the way the war on terror works these days. You know, horrible things can come from that, of course. But there's not this perception that this might just pull the plug on everything. You know, everything might get flushed down the drain. Uh, and that's that does something to your psyche when you grow up with that. And I, I, I feel um, – and I'm not saying this in any sort of a, a – Tragic way, but I feel kind of haunted by that. Like that's that's a big part of my makeup and how I felt about the military and about things like airplanes. And uh, you know, I, I look back at it now with this, the absurdity of the time. You know, I think Doctor Strangelove is a perfect encapsulation of that time. But I think it really does something you to grow up during that.
2: I, I absolutely agree. And I, there was a there was a poll done in my uh, middle school class, and this is you know back at the height of the Cold War. And the poll was, uh, do you think there will be a nuclear war within your lifetime? And seventy percent answered yes. Yeah. 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 And, and that that, that kind of it sticks with you. And I think that you know, for me uh, at least, and I think for a lot of my generation um, in England, when the when when the when the Berlin Wall came down and the Cold War ended, it was all of a sudden like we had this bonus lifetime <laughs> of like, wait a minute. <laughs> The world's not going to end? Holy shit. Like, everything else. Now, this is a freebie, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, we get to live. Yay! <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Um, uh, Nick, when were you in the military? Was it during this period? I, I'm, I don't want to make any assumptions about how old you are.
1: Uh, no. I was uh, I was in the military for the first uh, Desert Shield Desert Storm and then the second. Wow. So, yeah, that was... Did you, uh, you know, go? yeah, it's very interesting because I, I did grow up during, you know, the the 70s and 80s. So there was that, you know, it, it was just sort of a matter of course, like, yeah, of course there'll be a uh, nuclear exchange at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I,
2: did, did, did you know, because you were in the military at the time, did you know, because I remember the first Iraq war and there was an awful lot of buildup where, you know, those those of us in civilian life, we actually thought this was going to be a war, right? Like two sides battling it out. And I, I remember that there were a few military experts, and I, who's the guy who wrote Face of Battle? Uh, somebody, Keegan.
0: Oh, John Keegan. Yeah, yeah,
2: John yeah. Keegan. Like, I remember an interview with him before the invasion, and he just looked at the panic-ridden interviewer who had a similar perspective to me of like, oh, my God thousands and thousands of allied troops are going to be dying and he looked at me and said you're about to see what happens when a modern army fights a mid-20th century army and uh you know i've dismissed it of like yeah yeah whatever you're a flag waver but that one-sided just wipe out did did you know in the military that was going to
1: happen So initially when we got there and it was the buildup and, you know, just supplies were coming in day after day uh, and just stuff was moving around on the front lines, we were told that this was going to be a, you know, protracted, you know, down in the sand, just dirty kind of, you know, rifle to rifle sort of fight. Um, and then about midway through that build-up, so midway through Desert Shield, suddenly we were being told, "Eh, you know what? Uh, you're about to see something awesome. So <laughs> just hold on." <laughs> Which, you know, as it turned out, yeah, well, we, we did, you know, sort of the, the the you know the the next century version of the. You know, that Warsaw Pact plan where we just inundated them with, right. uh, w- yeah. with air power. <laughs>
0: uh, I, I distinctly remember, uh, as far as the shift for me, where I kind of had that realization that it sounds like you had in, in, in the war there, Nick. Uh, I remember a professor, and I wish I could remember his name, uh, where I was in college, once sitting up in front of the class and, and telling us, in a conversation about nuclear war and the cold war and will there be a showdown. And he basically said something along the lines of, okay, look, there are people who are far smarter than you and me and far more powerful whose goal it is in life to make sure this never happens. And as a child, child is, you know, a nineteen twenty year old, as a, as a kid in college hearing that I, I kind of felt oh you know i, I think he's right uh, and and t- drawing great comfort from that for a very very long time uh and you know later being disabused of that notion specifically with the invasion of iraq uh thinking, wait a minute no a bunch of people who are very very powerful and supposedly smart are actually idiots and doing stupid things um but i, I remember that just that professor's comments sort of being a transition for me of thinking well maybe we're not all going to die in a nuclear fire
2: Um, well well, up up until the uh, the first iraq war i think a lot of our expectations or mine they were set by vietnam and the russian soviet experience in afghanistan and it was like holy shit like and i was uh i was definitely of age to be called up you know i I think i was in fact i was i just got my first video game job i was like oh so I might end up, you know, over there, and uh, it just—I I guess you always expect the last war, right? Of uh, what right. happened before. Incidentally, right. no one's ever made a good game about Vietnam, which I—I I think is interesting.
0: I, uh, yeah, I hope this isn't a spoiler, but a colleague of mine named Bruce Garrick, who's done a great job writing this series on war in the East, has been threatening to to write a series of articles about Vietnam War gaming, and I told. Oh. I- really want him to do that because i i feel the same way rod like i the, the asymmetrical warfare that that we had to deal with and that, that vietnam was all about and it was so completely different from world war ii i just find that far more fascinating than tanks banging into each other yeah um,
2: well the, the and there's a whole bunch of uh, uh again new literature coming from um uh from the north side of you know they they really did believe in big unit battles as well for a long time and kept trying it, and trying it, and getting stonked, and, uh, I, I think there's a, there's a, there's a really, and, I, and again, obviously, it's, it's kind of like the Falklands for, for me, you know, there's a lot of personal, uh, it's, it, wars that I think, you know, kind of affected you when you were a kid, I think there's a lot of baggage, and I think that Vietnam, there's a lot of, uh, you know, rightfully, I think a lot of people are still very sensitive to it, um, but, yeah, I sure would like to see uh, a decent treatment of Vietnam.
0: What, uh, you, you talk about baggage from the Falklands. I, I, I just think of the Falklands as a sort of a, I mean, I know like the Belgrano blowing up was terrible, but I can't help but think that that's just kind of a slightly larger scale Grenada. Like, is that, is that yeah. not what it's like for you guys?
2: It, or, is a, uh, I think it was a defining conflict for kids of my age, uh, because this was, uh, you yeah. know, it, it was it was to us. It was as simple as our country's being invaded. So this is like you know Hawaii, right? Mm-hmm. It's like hey, yeah, it's long away, but they're us, and um, that was a. It came at a time, and this is God. Are we really going to talk about Margaret Thatcher this week? I guess we're... I was.
0: I was going to ask you because I, <laughs> I couldn't help <laughs> not ask you when if we're going to go there. Yeah,
2: it, this was a time when um, uh, you know uh, Britain itself. We were kind of getting torn apart internally, and that had started before Margaret Thatcher. You know, the winter of discontent was the unions fighting the Labor Party, and it was it was a bitter time. And, um, uh, you know, Margaret Thatcher came into a bitter time, and, you know – <laughs> arguably made it a bit worse maybe i don't know um but it was a defining moment at the same time we had an ira campaign going on so you know i'd go to the shopping mall and there were warnings about there could be bombs in the trash cans ah. uh, so this is a you know imagine you've kind of got you know a mini 911 ongoing but right. the people could look like you you know i'm half irish like so i got to see both sides of this thing plus then uh, another country, in a country, plus you've got this massive social split going on. Of okay, how are we addressing this new economy? How we're we transitioning? Um, yeah, it was a it was a defining time, and I think a lot of as you've probably seen from British posters this week, uh, that time is very much a, a a contentious time for us. In the same way, I, I believe, and I don't want to speak. Uh, for Americans, but the same way I believe there's still a lot of contention about the Vietnam era. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on for us around the Falklands.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the Cold War game that, that you're talking about that you said uh, you've started programming on, uh, yeah. do you have a name and ETA for this? Like, is, is this something that is still in no, the early tinkering phases? No, it's in the early
2: tinkering phase. They, they, it usually takes me um, about 10 to 20 hours, um, and because I do it on the, my spare time, that can be, you know, 20 weekends or six. <laughs> so, uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes.
0: Uh, I just want you to know that as the CEO of Linden Lab, you are allowed to give yourself a sabbatical. <laughs> just want to put that out there. So, uh, Rod, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us uh, this week. Even if you did pick a nerdy man board game, war game, for, for your game of the week. Uh, you're not playing like Bioshock Infinite or something like that? No, I played
2: literally like the first 20 minutes uh, and I haven't played it since. Um, I will get, can, get back to it. And
0: then you sat down at your table alone turning the board back and forth playing against yourself. I'm still it, flummoxed with it, how that it works.
2: It actually gets worse. I do have um, so when I said a war room, I meant I actually, I've I, I, we converted a stable on my property.
1: Whoa! Converted it
2: to it's now that's my war room, and it's got it's got no computers. It's all um, it's uh, got books around it, and it's got um, tables, and it's for war games where I can set up my war games. So I was actually in my bunker <laughs> out there with uh, with a, with a, a bottle of port, you know, classical war music in the background, a little bit of Soviet marching music for the Soviet term.
0: I'm getting more of the image, not of a bunker, but of a war barn. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, All right, well uh, folks listening, thank you as well for joining us. Uh, next week, we will have Chris Taylor joining us now hold on before you make any assumptions no 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 yeah exactly not that chris taylor not the one you're thinking of that did a uh, total annihilation not the one who was recently involved in a a heart-wrenching but ultimately triumphant kickstarter drama about i think their game was called wild man at gas-powered games this is the other chris taylor and he probably hates being thought of as that way um but he he worked on the we, folks know him from fallout but more yes. recently uh, Bruce and I, speaking of playing war games alone, Rod, uh, Bruce and I know him because we did a Tom versus Bruce with a game called Nemo's War, which is a solitaire board game that you yep, play. Yep, I played that game. It's awesome. Well, it was designed by Chris Taylor of Fallout fame. Well, so uh, he... he did um,
2: Forlorn Hope as well for Victory Point games, I believe.
0: Hey, yeah, no, he, he's definitely yeah. got uh he's definitely got a stable of, of tabletop creations that he's made. Uh and he's gonna we Bruce and I in a way couldn't care less about Fallout, uh, so we're just gonna sort of bend his ear about board games next week. So uh join us for that. Um and we will see everyone here next week. And again, Rod, thank you so much uh for joining us and uh we'll talk thank to you everybody. All
2: right. It was a blast. Thank you.
0: Okay, Rod and Nick This is a contest I will Either of you If either of you Can name this song You win a nickel I
1: have no idea well, I, I think mm. this is the Actual uh, Warsaw Pack Marching music
0: <laughs> it, it does Believe it or not Relate to This podcast This is a song Called Patterns
1: Oh, oh
0: Very nice it's a fine uh, and it's title. Totally accidental.
1: It's what?
2: <laughs> a fine title.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. And, and, and it's just me going through my uh, iTunes list and thinking, oh, look at that. It's called Patterns. So I'll, <laughs> I'll use that. That's
1: so, great. there you go.
0: Hey!